you've come to the right place if you're looking to create, launch, and scale a high-value online training program. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, the most powerful learning management system for WordPress. Stay to the end. I've got something special for you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Barbara Thomason. She's from joy-circles.com and she helps facilitators and the people they're helping help preteens with self-confidence, uh, reading, all kinds of skills. But first, welcome to the show, Barbara. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks for the invitation to come share. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Uh, you know, it's cool to build an online business, but it's also, in my opinion, even better to create a positive impact in the world. Um, tell us, let's get to the root of it. What is social emotional learning, which is part of the Joy Circles program? Sure. Well, social emotional learning <clears throat> has an acronym like a lot of things do. So I may refer to it as SEL. Okay. And <clears throat> social emotional learning has been around actually since the 60s, but has had a recent rebirth <clears throat> out of need, mostly. Some people think of it in terms of character development, uh, but I prefer the SEL moniker because it it it's more descriptive of what happens. It is a child learning to uh, understand better their own emotions, understanding themselves and how they interact with others. Uh, it helps them um, as they move into those very special developmental stages and how they interact with the wider world. So it essentially better prepares them for the world of, of work, world of relationships. So it's very important and <clears throat> important that educators learn to recognize its importance. So what happens, I like to keep it positive, but what happens when there's, you know, stunted development and social emotional learning, like how, how does it kind of play out or, and create challenges in a child's life? Well, well, I think it's been obvious in recent years because um, what we've noticed has been the result of, of COVID isolation. Mm -hmm. when, uh, when young ones have not had the social interaction, they uh, struggle a little bit with coming back in, you know, to society in learning situations and in working with the team and collaborating. Uh, they tend to become <clears throat> very um, techno-dependent, and uh, I think that it takes time to uh, begin to assimilate back into, you know, their, their age group. So, um, you know, social and emotional skills are critical for academic learning. So uh, a young one who isn't really comfortable with themselves and each other must be comfortable, um, well, well, they have to be comfortable with themselves in order to be able to be comfortable with learning. So, uh, and research bears this out that um, young ones who um, score high, I guess you could say on SEL, uh, make greater gains in the academic areas such as math and reading and sciences. So it's, it's just very important for all over development. 
you mentioned like a scoring system or uh, what, what types of, what are examples that would cause a higher score in SEL? Um, well, I'll speak to a specific um, series of studies. There was a Dr. Gerlach and um, some of his research has been uh, most cited. And what he found is, um, of course, there were certain gains after social emotional learning. I think he looked at uh, several hundred SEL programs of different types. And of course, the children that were um, exposed to SEL learning as opposed to control groups certainly saw gains in social emotional learning parameters. But what they didn't expect, but they did see was an 11% increase in academic gains. So that was rather amazing and um, a wonderful finding because what that communicates to educators is that it is worthwhile to spend instructional time on social emotional learning because it's a, it's a wonderful expenditure of time with a payout at the end for academia. Awesome. I love the name, Joy Circles. Uh, tell us about the name and the circles. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that was both inspiration and um, I guess you could say a little bit of science too. Uh, there are a couple of researchers, uh, and of course their names have escaped me, but I have their book on the shelf, that uh, produced programming called The Circle Way. And they have programs around the world that are uh, a lot of them for adults. And they have shown how important the circle is, that is putting people in circles. And of course, they go back to almost prehistoric times to demonstrate how circles are used uh, in uh, adult gatherings and how when you put people in a circle, everyone is on equal footing. Uh, everyone has a say, everyone is heard. And so <clears throat> this concept was extremely important to me in that when you enter into the whole process of social emotional learning, it's important that, that you establish a circle in order for children to build trust with whoever is working with them in, in facilitation. Um, you might notice that uh, whether it's therapists or school counselors, when they're dealing with a child who may be um, unregulated or in trauma, they tend to get down on the level of the child. They may kneel down or even sit down <clears throat> eye to eye with the child. It's the same concept with circles. It's everyone is seated on the floor or if, <clears throat> excuse me, if everyone is in a chair, so is the facilitator. So everyone is equal, everyone is heard. There are activities within the program <clears throat> that enable um, the circle to really be borne out. There's movement to music, so we're doing that in a circle. There are times um, based on Cliff Dervy's program um, called Heart Talk, where you have a heart and you pass it around the circle and whoever is holding the heart has the privilege to speak at that moment about their deepest feelings. So that is a use of the circle as well as um, 
And there are other things, of course, that we do within the circle, but the use of the word circle is, is very critical. Um, joy, of course, I think uh, is inherent in, in the name of the program because that is, you know, an intended ultimate outcome. It was a perfect marriage of, of two concepts, really, to create this program. And I have to say it was somewhat divinely inspired. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love that. Love the name and the backstory there. Um, you mentioned therapists and perhaps guidance counselors and educators before. Who is the best fit for the Joy Circles Facilitator Certification Program? Because you're you're going to the to the educator, not directly to the student. Who are who is who's the best fit? Well, that is that's a great question because I think there are personal and skill characteristics that make the best facilitator, not necessarily a job title. So there may be someone without all of those credentials that could be a gifted facilitator. Like a but camp I, counselor, perhaps. Yes, I mean, it could be someone without uh, an advanced degree. It could be someone with an associate's degree. It could be someone with no degree. Um, although that's, I think, a little tougher to establish. But <clears throat> if I were to go into um, a school district, I would most likely start with guidance counselors simply because they are most likely to get it um, most easily, get the concept. Uh, the school social worker is most likely to understand this. For the most part, they have had probably 25 to 35 to 50% of the learning that I am offering in the facilitation program. For them, a lot of it is repeat or review. Uh, for them. So they are wonderful candidates for this program. Teachers, only if maybe they, um, uh, they're they in a special situation where they have instructional time to do it and they have, you know, the skill sets and understanding. But for the most part, they are very focused on the, inst the instruction, the area of um, uh, instruction that they are required to deliver. And they're usually under a lot of stress to deliver it. And that's not a good place to be in order to deliver joy circles and social emotional learning. All right. Um, well, tell us about the desire to and the story of putting this online and how you how you made it to the point where you wanted to have a website for this and, and create the online certification program for the facilitators. Well, the. The Joy Circles program itself, the, what is delivered to the children, of course, is not online. That is a live program. But it was important to me that the facilitator training be available really around the world, um, certainly across the nation, so that the program could be delivered um, widely as quickly as possible. So that was the way to do it, was to, to place it online and make it um, easy, easily accessed and, and um, make the interaction between those of us that deliver the program uh, as impactful as possible and make it <clears throat> uh, self-paced for the learner uh, as well as uh, we could um, punctuate this 
this class with periods where we could have live sessions. So built into it or a couple of times when we would have um, what you might call check-in sessions and, and uh, coaching sessions with those that are going through the program. And at the very end, there's a capstone session where they would do a practice facilitation, you know, with a live group. Um, but it was important to be able to, to deliver this in a widespread way. It, it's also wonderful to be able to edit the program as we go. Mm. Um, I attended a all-day conference yesterday delivered by the Texas Teacher Counseling Association and went to a number of wonderful workshops and got some great content and thought as I came back yesterday, oh, I need to put that in my, my facilitation program so I can go in and edit uh, happily, change the program, and it's, it's done. You know, I don't have to go back to a printer and have a lot of expense, have any expense at all to make those edits. Tell us about the instructional design aspect of it. Like, how did you figure out how to structure the the course and the content? I know you said that it's awesome that you can make it better as you go, but how did you kind of mm -hmm. first encapsulate the program? Well, a little um, spoiler alert, I, I have a master's degree in human resource development. So um, I know a little bit about instructional design and training and development, um, but I had never created a course and put it online. So you guys make it easy. Um, I mean, this drag and drop um, simplicity, um, the, the training courses that you all provide, I mean, it's hand-holding all the way. And so I, you know, it just made it, it just made it painless. I did it over the Christmas holidays, essentially, and uh, and knew, of course, that as I went along, I could just slide another lesson in or slide another unit in as I went along. So um, it was it was it was so much easier than I thought it would be. So thank awesome. you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're welcome. I'm gl I'm glad that makes me happy. What was your experience with WordPress, or you know, getting into the tech of it all? Because it it's not always easy, like WordPress is infinitely customizable, but what's your WordPress journey? <laughs> well, I have a, a webmaster okay. and they're the WordPress experts. In fact, they're the ones that, that they gave me a list of <clears throat> three LMS companies and you all were one of them. And um, so I reviewed the three. I ended up with you all. Um, I'm glad I did. So um, I always knew that I had sort of a fallback, I could go to my webmaster people and, and they could save me if I screwed up. But um, it was, <laughs> you just appeared on WordPress. You know, it's like, I didn't know it was going to happen. And there you were. So <laughs> 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 you know, that's how dumb I was about WordPress. So um, I just found you there and just started clicking around. I could find what I needed, you know, just by clicking on courses and, you know, it was, it was easy to find. And I, I found that I didn't mess up my website or anything. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great. That's awesome. Do you remember, you said you were looking at three different LMSs. What ultimately led to choosing Lifter LMS? Um, I can't remember all that went into the decision. Uh, I will tell you that 
Uh, I think it was the support that you provide, uh, certainly the the instructional support, the, the fact that we can call on you any any time. Um, I think that you were you had sort of a special going on. It was around Thanksgiving. Um, that certainly helps. Everybody likes a, uh, a deal. deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I think you um, enabled me to try it. You know, I don't think I did. I think I just signed up um, all the way at the beginning. Um, there were probably other things. I think I liked the look, uh, the look and feel of Lipter LMS um, sites. Uh, certainly there were good testimonials. You know, there, there really wasn't any reason not to sign up with you all. And some of the other sites, you know, gave me, gave me pause. Okay. Um, here's a question for you that, you know, we get asked a lot for, and it's one of the reasons we have this podcast. It's kind of outside the scope of the software, but how do you get clients or how do you, how do you get facilitators um, interested in the program and get the, get the message out there? Well, that's been tough. I mean, this is, I'm a new launch. Yeah. So <clears throat> my best way is, uh, for example, going to a conference, a professional conference yesterday. Um, I reach out to school districts one by one and attempt to make appointments either with um, an instructional leader, um, whoever's heading up the counselors, um, and just have that conversation, see where they are in their SEL programming. Uh, we talk about who would be ideal facilitators, um, just that sort of thing. It's just the, the outreach. I also have an uh, e-newsletter, and so I have a, a pretty robust <clears throat> list of schools across the state of Texas right now. Um, so reaching out to them through my e-newsletter, which is quarterly, uh, I had an info webinar in January and uh, invited quite a few people to that. So it's just a lot of those those ways, you know, that that you um, outreach to your publics. Awesome. Right mm -hmm. I call that the ground game. You have to like get out there and and, and get the pavement. <laughs> yeah, one conversation at a time. Uh, you mentioned checking in with districts on where their cell programming is. Is it already kind of part of the flow where where inst educational institutions have some kind of uh, social emotional learning mandate or um, you know process and flow, or is it sometimes a new thing for a, a school? This is this is tough for me to answer because I don't want to be negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, it depends on the district. And uh, so it very much depends on the, the leadership in that district and how flexible they are. Um, most districts treat social emotional learning like a box to check off. Mm. Um, many, many social emotional learning programs have placed their student component online. And this is where I'm, I'm having a real problem because while I'm very much in favor of online learning, obviously, 
I am not in favor of social emotional learning for the children in the younger ages going online because mm -hmm. that seems counterintuitive for a social emotional program. Hard to build a circle on the online, right? <laughs> now, having said that, I met uh, a wonderful uh, program creator, a former professor yesterday who has a high school program which is partially online. And I think that's perfectly wonderful, um, you know, as long as they do have the live component. But um, I would say that there are many other states that are head and shoulders above my state, the state of Texas. Uh, and I'm afraid that, that we fall far behind many of the <clears throat> administrators, superintendents still view social emotional learning as something that steals away from academic instructional time. They're not familiar with Durlach's study and, and others and don't realize the importance, especially in this post-COVID time. And I do my best to educate it. I'm just one, you know, just one person, but um, I'm hoping that over time they will see the benefit of it. Uh, some of the programs that I saw yesterday, um, especially those that are online, just don't seem to me to be um, impactful. Uh, and they'll they'll say that they're evidence based, which is the the um, key word in in social emotional learning. But they can throw that word around without you know necessarily having to prove it. So uh, I think that. It just depends on on what school district and what state that you're walking into as to how far they have come with social emotional learning. For the other folks trying to impact within the educational system, who is who's kind of like the decision maker on the program? You, you mentioned districts, but then there's individual guidance counselors. Is it more likely that the kind of district lead gets buy in and then encourages their staff to join, or is it more likely a specific guidance counselor, as an example, that you know kind of gets really into it? And I call that land and expand, and then others start getting interested. Which, which is it, top down or bottom up? That's the, that's the question. That's what, how I was going to respond. It depends on if it's top down or bottom up. Um, you know, sometimes a, a new superintendent comes uh, into his position and wants to make his mark. And if his mark is um, one that is, you know, pure academics, then social emotional learning may go by the wayside. And, and that's what I have seen in the very district I'm sitting in. Um, while another may be one that is very open to listening to his professional staff and um, you know, we'll take their recommendations. And if they believe strongly in, you know, a, a sound social emotional learning program, then he or she will say, let's, let's invest in it. So it just depends on what kind of leadership is there and, and how willing they are to listen and, and take a, take a try on, on a program. Awesome. You mentioned, uh, you know, creating impactful training. Uh, what are some examples of how to make the facilitator training more impactful than, let's say, other things that are out there? And with your background as a as a facilitator and instructional designer, how does one do that? 
<clears throat> well, I think that in addition to having good content and um, one of the things that that I try and do, it's not always the fun part, is is having sound um, resources and cite, you know, the sources. But to also have use your tool for for um, um, what do you call them? Like it's like homework and um, use the tool for creating like quizzes and. So, so you're getting feedback for each, you know, unit or lesson if you choose to do it that way, so that they're, um, you know, really sort of assimilating that information and and uh, trying themselves out on it. I think too, the more that you can have more interaction uh, during the learning, the better it can be. So, so an example might be. Um, an, a lesson assignment where they join together with one or two other learners, you know, to work on a, a project, a group project, or they have to go uh, <clears throat> out and do some research on their own and, uh, you know, report back on that. Something that's a little more interactive than just reading and, you know, spewing back information, I think is, is going to be more impactful. Um, knowing, too, that the learning is something that uh, is going to make a difference in how they perform on the job. And um, I think just pointing that out throughout the, the lesson, for example, giving them tools on how to work with the child who um, may lose control, you know, during a session and you know why they are that way, and um, you know tools that they can use to to bring that child back into um, you know into self control. Those kinds what's of things. A, what's an example of a tool like that? When a child loses control, and how how can you help? Well, there's a a, a model, and I'm not going to go into the model, Chris, because it's it's. It's not an attractive model, but it's called a polyvagal theory. And um, it basically shows where we move neurologically in our brain, um, where we start out, you know, maybe feeling pretty good and we're in a certain part of our brain and then we go into the flight or fight, fight or flight mode or freeze mode and uh, we call that our reptilian brain. And that's where a child goes <clears throat> if they may be a child who has been subjected to abuse or um, neglect or any other form of trauma, they, they go there more readily. And so uh, through acts of, of in, ensuring trust and so forth, you can move them from that part of their brain into a more calming place. Um, there was a strategy I learned yesterday and just, you know, I'm going to build this into my program. A lot of parents learn how to conduct time out, right? Mm -hmm. Well, a child who has been neglected or abused, time out would be very problematic for them because what they, they don't need to be felt like they're, they're rejected. 
they need to be brought in, you know, and, and feel closer and connected to a, a trusting human being. So this particular uh, theorist called it time in. And uh, I just thought it was a beautiful thing. And she uh, demonstrates how she brings the child who has acted out, um, you know, into a chair fairly close to, to her. She continues to do her thing, you know, whether it's grading papers or, you know, cleaning up at a sink or whatever, and allows the child to maybe do some art or something, but be thinking about how he or she might have uh, performed that behavior differently, not, you know, decide what you did wrong, but how might you have done that differently if you had a do-over? And, and then when you have decided that, you know, when you figured that out, just say, I'm ready. And then when the child says, I'm ready, then get down on their level, eye level, and hear what they have to say. And it's says, great, let's try it that way. I mean, and I just thought that was a beautiful strategy to bring maybe a child that is a high emotionality down to a calm level where they can move from that panic area of their brain to calm thinking, logical area of their brain and, and have learning take place. So I just thought that was a beautiful strategy I'd never heard before yesterday. Time in. I love that. Mm hmm. Where does your passion and motivation come for this subject matter and impact you want to make in the world? Well, it's funny. When this um, lightning bolt inspiration came to me, I did not want to do this. <laughs> um, I've had businesses before. Um, you know, I didn't want to do another one. It was like, no, thank you, God. I don't want to do this. <laughs> but it just wouldn't leave me alone. Um, the day that my daughter was born, and this was a pretty long time ago, it was a little over 40 years ago, when I brought my daughter home from the hospital, there was a front page article about a little boy <clears throat> named Tommy Lott. And Tommy Lott had um, been, had a long he was probably only five, four or five years old. And he, but in his short life, he had been um, really tortured and abused. And the front page article was that Tommy Lott had um, been killed by his parents, essentially by being scalded in hot water. And this horrifying story, the day I brought my sweet baby home from the hospital, sat in my gut um, and influenced a lot of what I did. I volunteered for a child, a child abuse prevention agency um, for years. I um, you know, worked directly with uh, child abuse um, at risk families. Um, I almost became a social worker at one point and decided I didn't want to have my um, career in, fall into that area is too depressing. <laughs> but um, anyway, Tommy Lott has been in the back of my mind off and on throughout my career. And I, I have gone on to do other things, you know, community development work, economic development work. It's all been very gratifying. But, um, but, but kids are where it's at. And um, 
I've never wanted to be a teacher. I've never wanted to work in a daycare. I've never wanted necessarily to have that direct contact. <laughs> it was enough to be a mom, but uh, but I have this creative motivation to create. You know, this is the um, facilitator program guide that they work from to create the program and maybe have a little wider impact than I would have just working for the classroom or um, was always something appealing to me and I felt like would have, um, would make a difference, would make a difference in the world. So that's my motivation. Tommy Lott. <laughs> that's fantastic, Barbara. Uh, for those of you listening, Barbara just held up a workbook. Is that, uh, it's like a binder. Does that come up? Does that come with the program, the online program? Yeah, uh, this would be something I would ship to the facilitator. And as yeah. they go through the online program, this is kind of like lesson plans. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe someday these would go online as well. But right now, um, because this is something they might take with them into a classroom, I just wanted it to be a little bit more portable and mobile. And I wouldn't didn't want them to have to depend on on a laptop or a tablet to carry that around. So yeah, that's that's the program facilitator guide. I love that. I actually really like that idea. I call it clicks and bricks. You have some digital stuff and some stuff in the real world and it all just kind of works together for the for the program. Yeah. Um <clears throat> What's your vision for the future with Joy Circles? Like, where where do you want to go with it? I want to go across the country. Yeah. Um, no, I want to continue to offer the the, the creative um, leadership of the program. I want to build a program. One thing that I haven't emphasized really today is the fact that it um, it it combines reading. Um, reading skills development with social emotional learning. So the young ones in the group will read um, contemporary novels that are age appropriate. So for example, <clears throat> one of the, the novels deals with um, some kids that are dealing with bullying. And so we read the book together. As we read in the group, the kids build their reading skill because they're reading out loud. Um, but we also stop and we have a series of discussion questions. You know, have any of you been bullied? What does it feel like to be bullied? What constitutes bullying or what is teasing? What's the difference? Um, <clears throat> so it's sometimes easier to talk about somebody else's bullying experience before you talk about yours. And so because of that, Joy Circles has an infinite number of possibilities in that there are an infinite number of contemporary novels for various age groups. So right now we focus on fourth through sixth grade. I'm gonna go down to third grade eventually at the recommendation of some school principals. And I may, may go up a grade or so the other direction as well. And then, of course, create depth in terms of more and more novels that we might introduce into the program. So, um, so I could stay very busy in just working with um, developing the program with the, the addition of literature, kid lit. 
um, as it relates to the different topics of, of bullying and race and socioeconomic differences and developing friendships and dealing with parents and all of those issues that children in this age group are just exploring and dealing with. So on a micro level, that's where I want to go with it. On the macro level, I do hope to bring other professionals in to help me expand this business and to help it grow. Uh, I'd like to see it in schools across the country. And, um, you know, that's my vision to make a difference across, across the country. That's amazing. Um, switching back to the instructional design hat, if somebody is, you know, working on something similar or, or uh, tangentially related, I'm, I'm just curious, did you create the physical binder of lesson plans first or the online course? And then there's also this reading list. Uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, what <laughs> would you advise somebody? Well, I, I created the, the program, the lesson plans first. Okay. But I, I had in the back of my mind sort of this outline for the facilitator uh, program. So the lesson plans are one thing, but the, the facilitator training is, you know, why do we use circles? Uh, why do we use models? That's another thing that makes us unique in that we, we use graphical and word models. Uh, no other program does this that uh, helps bring concepts to the young ones that will remain in their mind. <clears throat> There's one model, for example, called Sarge, and it's this ugly kind of sergeant graphic. And it is about the type of communication style that you might hear from a sergeant or another kind of authority. Um, but it's necessary in an emergency or a certain situation. So sometimes children have a hard time distinguishing, you know, between what's appropriate and what's inappropriate communication. So this is a kind of communication model that we teach them. And then we talk about other kinds of communication like eye messages and, and how to structure an appropriate eye statement. You know, I feel concerned when you talk to me in that tone of voice. So um, all of this is, and there are more models that are in my head that need to be developed as we move into sixth and seventh grade, you know, levels. Um, so program first, then the facilitator training will evolve as well. I want to try to extract a, some wisdom from uh, your experience around a lesson plan for a for somebody who's not trained as a teacher like what is a lesson plan? Um, it's a flexible script. <laughs> um, and you know, it'd be hard for you to see for me to show you, but uh, it, it provides a theme, you know, for this particular uh, day or period of time together. It provides- like bullying as an example? Well, like communication or okay. leadership or self-management or, you know, visioning, and it provides maybe a list of materials and equipment that you meet, need to gather together to have for that session so that it helps them get organized. 
And then it has the list of activities. You know, you start with um, movement to music and Joy Circles has its own um, recordings of music. We've, we've secured the services <clears throat> of a local musician who has provided a, a soundtrack for us. So it's very, you know, upbeat, positive music that, that he's created for us. So we have movement to music. And of course, we've taught them in the facilitator training how to do this, you know, um, in a way that's open and fun. And then we move right into what we call soda straw breathing, where they transition from that movement to music that helps them focus down to a calming state where they, you know, they might ha even have a soda straw. And we teach them how to breathe in through their nose and out as if they're breathing through a soda straw. And we do that several times. So it's self-calming. And then we go right into reading where we are in the novels and they take turns. If a child doesn't want to read, maybe they're not comfortable with their reading, they can pass. Or we might say, well, why don't you read the title of this chapter so that they're comfortable with just a few words and we reinforce that, you know, great, that was helpful, you know, thanks, Stephen. And then <clears throat> after we read whatever the chapter is that we've decided to do that day, we have our discussions. Well, why do you think, you know, why do you think she ran out of the classroom, you know, in that chapter? Have you ever felt like doing that and why? So we take whatever the, the action was and bring it down to their personal level. And then we might introduce our models for the day. And a lot of times they'll track with the action of, of the book. Um, and then we'll have some kind of a, a closing circle as well. So it depends on the amount of time that the uh, hosting organization has allowed, if it's 30 minutes or 60 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, how much we can accomplish. But that's... That's kind of what a lesson looks like. And this scripts it for you, but we allow lots of flexibility for a facilitator once they've been trained to make adjustments. There may be an activity like creating emoji sticks so that they have a collection of emoji sticks that shows different kinds of emotions that we would use throughout our semester together. So all kinds of things that, that the lesson plans can uh, provide them with ideas, and then we welcome them to submit their own ideas so that they can be shared among our facilitator community. Wow, <clears throat> I love that. I think the what I'm hearing the really big thing there when creating a learning experience is multiple modes. You know, in the body, breathing, music through the ears, reading, um, arts and crafts. It's not like you said earlier. It's not just receiving content and spitting it back on the test. That's what mm -hmm. makes engaging learning experiences. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so I say uh, like one of the frameworks or models that I have <laughs> for uh, for people who create these kinds of online learning platforms, so it can be challenging or difficult is because you kind of got to be five people in once. You have to be a subject matter expert. You have to be a teacher slash instructional designer. You have to be a community builder, both to 
you know, get clients and then also inside your program. You have to be an entrepreneur. You, you have to like start a business and accept money through the internet and do marketing. And you have to be a technologist who can, you know, work with hardware and software and websites and everything. You've, you've put all those pieces together, both yourself and you mentioned earlier, you had a webmaster that helps on the tech side. What advice do you have for somebody that's kind of struggling with having to wear those five hats? That's what I call my model is the five hats. <laughs> Cause you were able to get it and get it launched. Like what, what advice do you have for wearing all the hats? I would say, you know, get the help you need. Yeah. You know, retain those things that you know and love and try as much as your budget allows to delegate the rest. Um, if you don't like doing your bookkeeping, you know, try and find somebody else to do it. Um, if, if you don't like um, building a website, it's easy to find people to do that. I have the most wonderful web people and they were not terribly expensive. And I have just, I have them on a retainer now to, to rescue me when I need them to do things on a month to month basis. So how do you find that person? I'm just curious because people ask all the time. What's that online um, shopping Up, place? Upwork um, or freelancer? Yeah, it's Upwork. Yeah. yeah. I found okay. them on Upwork. Great, great, great place to go. Um, yeah, that's where I found them. And it wasn't necessarily that they were the, you know, the, the lowest price or anything. It was kind of a gut feeling um, of a good match. And I was right. So um, I would just say, say that, you know, keep the things that you're good at and that you love to do and, and try and, and carve out the other things and, and see if you can find others to do. You know, I, there are things that I really am ready to delegate, you know, but I'm not ready budget wise. So I'm, I've created a job description. I'm I'm poised and ready to bring somebody else on as quickly as I can when the time is right. But um, but the time isn't quite right. I'm just I'm just ready. <laughs> it sounds like also the um, having your strong vision, mission, and purpose kind of helps carry you through all those challenges. And what I'm hearing too is the the team aspect of it you even mentioned like in your vision to bring in other subject matter experts to add even more value to the platform, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. I look forward to that time. Um, it, it'll, it's also a challenge too. I mean, um, you know, it gets messier when you bring other people in. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Barbara. She's at joy-circles.com. What what's the best way uh, for people to connect with you? And particularly if somebody's working in education and social work or guidance, what should they do to connect with you more? Well, they can find me through the website. Um, I have an email, bthomason at joy-circles.com. Um, I'm on social media, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, and um, just reach out. 
Awesome. <clears throat> well, Barbara, thank you for being a shining example of what I call an education entrepreneur, creating a positive impact in the world and, and using Lifter LMS as part of, part of your tech stack. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best on your uh, learning platform journey. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Take care. Keep up the good work. All right. Hang on for a sec. I'm just going to stop the live stream here. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. Did you enjoy that episode? Tell your friends and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And I've got a gift for you over at lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Go to lifterlms.com forward slash gift. Keep learning, keep taking action, and I'll see you in the next episode.